what a wonderful song to, to lead right into this message. In fact, as we were singing, I, I had to jot down a few notes because we're going to return to some of those lyrics tonight as we work through this text that we, we began last week, Easter week. Let me read for you the same exact passage we began with last week. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Stand now and, and listen to the word of God. The text says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, we'll stop right there. Have a seat. <clears throat> Now, I want to welcome you back after last week. We had a great week of worship last week. Our Easter celebration was wonderful. It was so fun to see many new faces, to see many folks returning after being away for a little while. And, uh, and it was, honestly, it was a joy to begin the Easter season with this, uh, this very clear picture of the spiritual realm in which we live. Now, last week we talked about th this idea of spiritual blindness, and, and I had a lot of people say things like, you know, I never realized how blind that we could be spiritually, especially without Christ. And, and some of what we talked about last week is really what we're going to lead into this week, because last week we, we shared how there is, there is an enemy of your soul. And we wrestled with that idea that, there is, that if there is a God who loves you and wants good for you and wants to save you through his son, Jesus Christ, at the same exact time, there is, an, there is an enemy who hates you. He hates you because he hates God. He, he hates you because you have the image of God. That's how you've been made. And we started to unravel this idea of his schemes against you. That was really the, the main thrust last week. We talked about his schemes. And so... Tonight, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. Tonight, we're going to talk about his schemes, but, but more than that, we're going to talk about who, who this devil is. In fact, I would ask you the question, how much do you actually know about this spiritual being that we call Satan? How much do you actually think about him? How do you know how to separate out the, the biblical truth about him from the cultural myths about him? In, in fact, do you know how to properly even like maybe emotionally engage with the idea of Satan? You don't even know how to approach that idea. You know, people, they, they end up approaching the idea of Satan in a whole, a whole sort of different ways, right? Some people, they, they just kind of outright, they, they just say, you know, I don't think Satan even exists at all. They just say, he is a myth, he is a fabrication, there's no reason to believe in him whatsoever. Other people, they see Satan as like no real threat at all. In fact, there's a popular meme these days, and it's a meme that is uh, not today Satan. Has anybody ever said that phrase, right? It's like you, you wake up in the morning, you start walking through the room, you stub your toe, and it's like, ah, oh, wait, wait, not today Satan, like as if you can say those words. And all of a sudden, there's going to be no threat spiritually to you whatsoever. Not, not today, Satan. Or what about like the folks that, they're the other extreme. Where they're worried that Satan is behind every corner. They're worried that Satan, he's, he's under every single rock. They walk through life as if everything they experience is a spiritual attack. 
They see Satan in the signs. They see Satan in the walls. They see Satan in a shadow. Which one of those maybe describes you this evening? Which one of those maybe impact or is how you think about spiritual things? It's actually interesting. 2020, Barna, who does all sorts of research about churches and Christians and what Christians believe, in one of their studies, 2020, just a few years ago, they asked uh, if people believed that Satan was not merely a symbol of evil, but if he was a real spiritual being with influence over human lives. And in that study, 56% of people that responded, they believed that way. Now, you want to hear something fasc- fascinating? That same exact study that asked, do you believe Satan is real, that he has spiritual influence in people's lives, 56 people or percent of the people said that we think that he's real. That same exact study, when the question was asked, do you believe that God exists and that is active in people's lives, 49% said that they believe God exists. You realize three years ago that study shows that more people actually believe in Satan than they actually believe in, in God. See, I think this just underlines how confused we can be about spiritual things. This, this highlights how we have so many ideas about the spiritual realm, so many ideas about spiritual warfare, but sometimes we don't have them rooted at all in the Word of God. That's why this, spiritual, or this series, we've called it, uh, I Once Was Blind. We started last week talking about his schemes to blind the unbeliever. This week, we're going to talk about Satan a little bit more. We're going to talk about really one of his chief characteristics and, and, and then one of his chief attributes or the way he goes about trying to uh, attack us. Actually, I, I took my message and I broke it in two because we're going to run out of time today, I think. And so we're going to return to the same idea next week. But I want to tonight, I want to introduce Satan in a way that is thoroughly biblical. My goal is not to scare you. My goal is not to give you nightmares, but, but my goal really is to help you understand Satan is real. In fact, every New Testament book mentions Satan, and seven of the Old Testament books do. Jesus himself, he speaks about Satan 25 times in his own words. And so today, here's my goal. Today, I want to take a realistic look at, at who this devil actually is. I want you to begin to consider his tactics against you. I want to unveil any power that he might actually have in your life. But more than any of that, here it is, more than any of that, I want to show those who are in Christ. Let me say that again. Those who are in Christ, I want to show you that you have everything you need to deal with anything that Satan would try to attack you with. In fact, my big idea today, as we explore this text, is that you can stand against the devil if you stand in Christ. Now, this is my heart. Let me just lay it out there. If you are worried about spiritual warfare, if you are worried about spiritual attack, if you are worried about Satan and demons and how all of that plays out in your life, this is my heart for you. What I hope you leave here so convinced of is that you can stand against the devil if you stand in Christ. Christ. Now, we're going to take a little bit of a detour from how we usually approach things. 
Over the last year, we've been walking pretty much verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do what I'm going to call a, a theological deep dive. We're going to talk about Satan and his schemes, and then we're going to jump back into Ephesians chapter 6 and, and really talk about spiritual warfare. And so with that said, will you open up your Bibles? If you haven't done so already, will you open up your Bibles? Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Verse 11, it says, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, we're going to get to the armor of God in a few weeks. And last week, we talked about the schemes of the devil. And so today, we're going to pick up where, kind of where we left off and talk about verse 12. Let me read verse 12 for you again. Here it is. It says, for we do not wrestle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. With that verse in our mind, let's begin to explore what we actually wrestle against. See, here's what this verse teaches us. It shows us very clearly that your enemy is spiritual. Your enemy is spiritual. The text says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, I remember wrestling against flesh and blood. When, when I was in high school, I was a wrestler for a few years, right? I just a big, bad wrestler at 108 pounds. I mean, I was just a force to be reckoned with, right? And, uh, and you know what? I joined wrestling in high school, which meant most of the wrestlers I was up against, they were wrestlers in middle school, and so I had a disadvantage. And, uh, and I remember what it was like to wrestle against flesh and blood. I remember what it was like to get pinned. I remember what it was like to pin someone else. I know what it was like to be sweating and gritting and everything in you, every fiber in your body is against your opponent, trying to defeat them. But that's not what this is. This is not one person against another person on the mat trying to pin them. No, this is a spiritual battle. In fact, I want you to look at these words that it uses to describe this. It says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not physical. Rather, he says we wrestle against rulers. This is archos in the original language. This is the idea of a, of a figure who initiates an activity, a figure of authority who starts some kind of activity. This is a, a spiritual force who is aimed at attacking you. We wrestle against rulers. And then it uses the word authorities. Again, uh, authorities here. This is the, really the idea of a ruler, of a power. But we're going to see this isn't the spiritual world. This is some sort of transcendent being in the spiritual realm who has a certain level of authority. What he says in some realms, what he says goes. And the next word here is cosmic powers. Cosmic powers. It actually has the, the, the word world in it. Cosmos. Well, when we get to the book of John, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. Here, this idea of world or, or cosmic is this idea of the, the organized structure of all things, really not just physical, but spiritual. This is talking about a, a power in the, the cosmos. Not flesh and blood, but a real power, a real authority. It actually describes that these, these are cosmic powers over this present 
darkness. Uh, that's just a great description of the world we live in. This present darkness has to do with a state of spiritual or moral darkness. This is really describing an authority that has influence and it has authority over this present darkness. This is the idea that when you look around the world and you see things that are broken, when you see people that do evil, when you see tragedy, whether it's a moral tragedy like someone does evil or it's a natural tragedy where just the world is broken, there is an earthquake, there's a flood, something terrible happens. This is the reality that there are spiritual forces over this present darkness. Do you ever have moments when you just look at the world and your, your heart is in pain because of the evil that exists? This is talking about forces that have, have influence and power and authority over this present darkness. In fact, the next phrase, it says, the spiritual forces of evil. That's what you wrestle against. When, when you go toe-to-toe, it's not against a person. It's against the spiritual forces of evil. But look at this very last two words. It's one in the original language. This very last phrase, in the heavenly places. Now, for those who have been walking with us through the book of Ephesians for a while, this phrase, heavenly places, I hope, I pray that there's just this, this faint little memory, like I've heard that phrase before. If we were to go back to Easter a year ago, we preached on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Let me ask you, do you know if you're a Christian, do you know where your blessings are? You say, yeah, I'm blessed. I got a, a new car. Nope. Yeah, I'm blessed. I've got a, an easy life. Nope. If you are in Christ, do you know where your blessings are? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing, where? In the heavenly places. You, you, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against spiritual forces, where? In the heavenly places. You, you don't have physical blessings just coming out of your ears. Maybe you do, but listen, real spiritual blessings are where? In the heavenly places. In fact, let me, let me press this a little bit further. Let me press this a little bit further. Where are you? That's like a weird question, right? You're like, Mike, I'm sitting in church listening to you, dude. Where are you? You're like, Mike, 2911 Pacific Way, this is where our church is located, right? This is, this is the address that I'm physically at. Where are you? No, where are you? Let me remind you, according to Ephesians chapter 2, this is where we spent a number of weeks. Ephesians chapter 2, which starts with how you and I, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But then it gets to verse 5, how we were made alive together with Christ. We were made alive from death to life. And then it gets to verse 6. Here's what it says. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ, with him, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you another question. Where are you? Well, physically, you are right here. Yes, okay? But listen, spiritually speaking, when God the Father looks at someone who is in Christ Jesus, he sees that you are positionally, you are seated with Christ. Where? In the heavenly places. Where are the enemies of your soul? 
in the heavenly places. Where does spiritual warfare, where, where are your enemies at? This is where they are. I want you to understand, let's go back to chapter 6, verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This gives us so much insight into the nature of our spiritual warfare. See, our spiritual warfare, it takes place in a different realm. It takes place in a way that maybe is a little strange for us to understand because we don't get down on the mat or we don't get into the ring or we don't get on the field and say, let's do battle. Spiritual warfare, it's against enemies that are spiritual in nature. Now, this is this, is this reality. All of these different spiritual forces the Bible speaks of. But there's one who is chief, one who is prince over all of these spiritual forces. In fact, this is who we're really talking about. It's the devil. The devil is the prince of the evil spiritual forces. Now, let me, let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus is performing all sorts of miracles. Jesus is doing amazing things. Those who have never been able to walk are able to walk. Those who are blind can now see. In fact, in our daily devotions, we just went through chapter 9, where there's a man who is born blind. His entire life he's blind, and Jesus heals him. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. And all this while, the religious leaders, they are observing Jesus. They are watching Jesus. They are taking notes about Jesus. They're looking for, for a weakness in Jesus. And as they watch Jesus perform these amazing miracles, and all of these miracles are testifying to his identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. Listen to how these religious leaders respond. It says, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Here, here's what they do. They listen to Jesus teach and preach. They, they see the way he performs incredible miracles. And all of this threatens them. All of this offends them. Uh, people are following Jesus instead of following them. And so because of this, they point at Jesus and they say, the only reason he can do these things is because it is by the power of, the power of Satan is what they say. This word, Belzebul, it comes from the, the, the word in the Old Testament, which is Baalzebul, which is, means, simply means the prince of Baal. This is, this is the God who is the Canaanite deity in the city of Ekron. The, 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 the worshipers of Baal were the chief enemies of the, the people of God. In fact, the, this, this deity, this demonic force, Baal, he would always be trying to lead the people of Israel away. In fact, let me just give you just a little bit of introduction to this Canaanite deity. 2 Kings chapter 1, the very beginning of this book, verses 2 and 3. The, the text begins, it says, Now Ahaziah fell through a lattice, this is a leader over Israel, in his upper chamber in Samaria, and he lay sick. Now this is a, basically a king, he falls, he gets injured, he's laying there sick. It says, So he sent men, messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Yahweh, the one true God, 
inquire of the, the one who has rescued Israel time and time again? No, what does he say? Go and inquire of Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this illness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? This is, this is what the Pharisees are calling Jesus. They're saying, it's, it's the pagan deity that is empowering you to heal and to feed thousands and to do amazing miracles. In fact, a little bit later, verse 16, Elijah comes and confronts these uh, messengers. It says, And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, the messengers take this message back, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, it is because there is no, oh, excuse me, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Now, again, it's just a, a short moment in Israel's history. But I want you to understand what's at work here. This is, this is this Canaanite God. But look at what the religious leaders say about him. They say, first, that it's by his power that, that Jesus does miracles. But then look, the second thing they say, that, that he is the prince of demons. That he is the chief of all the demonic forces. Well, when we go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, and it describes these rulers and these authorities and these cosmic powers that are over this present darkness and these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, this is describing all of the ranks of demonic forces that they have their leader, their prince, their chief, who is Satan himself. Let me give you another example. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Jesus here, he, uh, he's judging the world. Those who are the sheep and those who are the goats. To those who have faith in him, and he, enter, he invites them to enter into a heavenly paradise. And to those who do not, he casts them out. Verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, here it is, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the picture of this spiritual force. And Satan himself, he is the leader of all of it. All of these demons, or we should say fallen angels, with Satan at the very head. This is who he is. He, Satan, he is this spiritual force. But, but let's keep going. If this is who he is, if this is his nature... Well, now I want you to see your enemy. Not only is he spiritual, but I want you to begin to see his, his tactics toward you. I want you to begin to see the way this spiritual battle, the way it takes place. If we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, then, then what is this wrestling match? What does it actually look like? Well, let me show you. I'm going to show you one way tonight, and the next week I'm going to finish with two weeks, or, or with two other ways. But let me show you the first way. First of all, this enemy, your enemy is an accuser. This is his, one of his primary tactics. This spiritual dark enemy that you have in, this, in the, the heavenly realms, he is an accuser. 
Uh, verse 11 of Ephesians 6 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now that word devil, have you ever thought about that word? That word devil, simply it means slanderer. It's the idea of an accuser. This is, this is the one who, who loves to stand and point at you and, and issue as many accusations as he possibly can. In fact, the, the word devil, New Testament, it correlates with the word in the Old Testament, which is Satan. This word in the Old Testament, Satan, it means adversary. So you, you get this idea that he is your enemy, he is your adversary, and as your adversary, he is there to, he is there to accuse you. He wants to get into your head. This, uh, this is the kind of accusation that works so well. I, I think it helps to think a lot about competitive sports. If you've ever been on the sports field and you've ever liked to uh, maybe like uh, talk a little smack to your opponent, right? I never do that, by the way. So if we ever play pickleball, I'm, I'm only going to say nice things to you, I promise. No, actually, this is actually a, a great strategy. When, when, we, when we get on the pickleball court, I'm going to tell you what, I, I talk a pretty good game. And, and I'm pretty playful about it. But, but I talk and I talk and I talk and I, and I just kind of start to get into someone's head just enough that they start to make a little bit of a mistake here and a little bit of a mistake there and they're not quite ready for something here. And it's really quite a game. I mean, it's a game within a game once you start talking the game, right? But this is really the enemy and his strategy. He, he wants to slander you. He wants to accuse you. And I want you to hold on to this idea that he wants to do it in a way that gets in your head. See, Satan is an accuser. He's always been an accuser. In fact, let me show you something incredible. Job chapter 1. If you're familiar with the book of Job, the book of Job is about a man named Job, right? So if you're ever flipping through your Bible and you find the book of Job, well, it's the book of Job, actually, is what it is, right? And the book of Job is about one man. It's during the time of the patriarchs. So this is maybe during the time of Abraham, right? Or, or even further back. This is a man who is, who is living in a right relationship with the one true God. This is someone who is, who is living to, to honor God, living to please God. Look at Job chapter 1. Look at verses 8 through 11. This is when God is holding his holy council and talks about sometimes the sons of God. This is the idea of angelic forces. They come and they appear before him. Look at this incredible conversation. Job chapter 1 verse 8 says, And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered, he answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Now the story plays out. The story plays out, and God does just that. God allows Satan to take away all of Job's possessions. He, he allows Satan to take away Job's family. He, he allows Satan to take away Job's health. 
But all of this is built on this slanderous accusation. What is this accusation? God, the only reason Job loves you is because of the good things you give him. Take it away and he will curse you to your face. Now, let me connect the dot for you. Where does this slander take place? In the heavenly places. This is, this is what Satan does. He slanders us. He goes before God, and here's what he does. He says, God, you know this guy over here? Let me tell you all of the things that he does wrong. God, you know this, you know this lady over here? Let me tell you all of the, the words that came out of her mouth today. God, you know this family back here? You know they come to church and they, they look so good when they show up at church, but you know the way they treat each other behind closed doors? You know how vile they're? Let me, let me just point out every single evil thing that they do. And he slanders before the throne of God. You realize there's going to come a day when he's no longer able to do that? There's going to come a day, Revelation chapter 12 describes this moment. During this great tribulation, during this time of unprecedented judgment that will be poured out upon the earth. In fact, some of the kids here, they're in my Revelation class on Friday school. We've been walking through this, right? But Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser. The slanderer of the brethren, of our brothers, has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. There is going to come a moment during the great tribulation when God starts to bring everything in the world to a final climactic conclusion. When Satan will be cast out and he will have no access to God. But I want you to notice this day has not happened yet. Just like in Job's time. When Satan was able to come and bring accusation against Job, you know what he does with you right now? He comes and brings accusation against you before God. This is his strategy. This is who he is. This is what he does. In fact, here is his core accusation. His core accusation is what I'm going to call counterfeit blame. This is it. He wants you, brother or sister in Christ, he wants you to carry all of the guilt and all of the shame that Jesus has already freed you from. And we're going to come back to that theme in just a moment. I want, to, I want you to hold on to that. Because this is the accuser. This is the slanderer. This is his tactic. This is his goal. This is his aim. This is what he is designing to do in your life. In fact, I imagine there are some of us that are listening and we're thinking, I know what he could accuse me of. And I know what he would be right about. But listen, I, I don't simply want to talk about Satan all day long. Because there's one greater than Satan. In fact, he is the accuser, but what I want you to remember is that Jesus Christ is your advocate. Can I show you something amazing? <laughs> Can I show you something just marvelous from the Word of God? 
If Satan is known as the accuser, if he is the slanderer, if he day and night makes accusation against you, what is your response? Let me show you this. Jesus Christ is your advocate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to what John writes about those in Christ. John writes this. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right? Listen. If you're in Christ, you shouldn't sin. <laughs> you, should, you should stop sinning. You should walk away from sin. But look at what it says. But if anyone does sin, don't raise your hand, but anybody in here that applies to? But if anyone does sin, here's what it says. We have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Can I, can I just give you a picture of what happens in heaven when the slanderer walks in to bring an accusation? When Satan walks in and he says, let me tell you about this person. Let me, I've got a list of everything evil they have done today, everything evil they've done this week, I've got this list of, of all of these vile things, these rebellious things. Some of them are kind of subtle and some of them are really wrong. Let me just tell you, let me tell you all these things about this person. When, when Satan comes and he presents his slander and his accusation against you before God Almighty, you have an advocate. And it's not like this, this court-appointed attorney that's green behind the ears, and he's shuffling his paper. He's like, well, um, uh, how, how do I defend this person? It is Jesus Christ the righteous. You realize what that means? That the one who stands up to defend you, your advocate in the courtroom of God, is the one who stands up and he says, excuse me, your honor, and he raises his hand, and there is a scar in his wrist. He says, you know what? Every accusation that Satan just uttered is absolutely true, except he's leaving out part of the story. He's leaving out part of the story. He's leaving out the fact that I, the advocate for this person, lived a perfect life. And I gave that person credit for my perfect life. You know what else Satan's leaving out? He's leaving out the part of the story where I, Jesus Christ, I died and I paid the price in full for all of their sin. See? And because the price is paid in full, and because Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus now stands as the one who is righteous before the Father as your advocate. Thank you, God. But if any of you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What an incredible truth. We sang just a few moments ago. It says, because the sinless Savior died, 
My sinful soul is counted free. Because God the just is satisfied. What, what did we sing? To look on him, to look on Jesus and pardon me. You know, I want you to see that if you have trusted in Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection, every single accusation that you meet, or the, the, the Satan makes, it is met with the perfect defense, which is Jesus' blood for your sin. But, this is only true of one kind of person. This is only true of one kind of person sitting in this room. This is only true not of someone who is a certain ethnicity, or of a certain intelligence level, or of a certain gender. This is true only of the one in this room, the kind of person in this room, who has put their faith in Christ. This is true only of the person here tonight who trusts that Jesus really did live a perfect life who trusts that Jesus really did die a sacrificial death, who trusts that Jesus really was buried and then resurrected from the grave. This is true only of the person that has Christ as their advocate. Listen very carefully. If you are here tonight and you have not trusted Christ, if you are here tonight and you are without Christ, I want you to understand something so clearly. When Satan accuses you before God the Father, you have no Defense. You stand in your guilt and in your shame. You stand prepared to bear the full consequence for every evil thing you've ever done. You stand with a target dead center on you with the wrath of God aimed at you in his perfect Righteousness. I say this not because I'm mad at you. Not because I don't like you. Not because I want that to happen to you. I say that because, because I love you. And more importantly, I'm telling you that tonight because Jesus, he came in love from God so that he can be your advocate so that he can be your righteousness. So that he can stand and answer every accusation the enemy will ever make against you. Can, can I just speak to you? If you're here and you're on the fence about Jesus, or you're playing the church game where you act like a Christian, but you're not sure if you've actually trusted him. If you're here, tonight is the night for you. Not to raise your hand or to say a prayer or to walk an aisle. Tonight is the night for you to stop trusting in yourself. Here's what it looks like to trust in yourself. Well, maybe, maybe just maybe I can be good enough. Maybe just barely good enough that God will accept me. You can't be good enough. The slanderer stands there pointing out everything wrong you've ever done. Tonight's the night that maybe you need to stop thinking that you're too far gone. 
It doesn't matter how evil you've been. It doesn't matter how much sin that you've engaged in. It doesn't matter how, how vile you have been and how wretched you have been before God the Father. If you trust in Christ, he will become your advocate. And every vile thing that Satan accuses you of, he is simply going to point to his wounds and say, I died in love for this person. They have been forgiven through my death and my resurrection. What do you do? What do you do when you face the slanderer? If you are in Christ, here's what I want you to know. You can stand against him. You don't fight it. You, you, don't, you don't try to knock him out. You don't rebuke him. You can stand against every slander he will ever make against you. If you are in Christ, you can stand against the devil. Now, with this truth in our hearts, I hope this truth is spilling forward in, in peace and in joy. We're going to prepare for communion. This is something we do here regularly at Valley almost every single week. And this is, this is, uh, this is a moment of proclamation that, that we believe exactly what I just preached. This is a moment where we take the, the bread and we say, Jesus, his body was broken for me. When we take the cup and we say, Jesus, his blood was spilt for me. Listen, in this moment, you know what we're doing? We're saying that we have an advocate with the Father. This is not a moment where you have to be a perfect Christian. Oh, I haven't sinned this week. I can take communion. Oh, I sinned today. I can't take communion. No, this is a moment for everyone who is willing to repent, to turn toward Jesus, to trust that he died and rose for you. Now, if you have yet to trust in Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to stay where you are. But, but for everyone else, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to open the table. And, and after I open the table, Stephen and the worship team are going to come up. I'd like you to come and take the cup and take the bread. Take it back with you to your seat. And in that moment, remember Jesus Christ crucified. In that moment, remember his blood shed on your behalf. In that moment, turn away from your sin and turn toward Christ. And then Stephen will lead us as we remember Jesus together. But let me pray for us first. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. And we recognize that we love you because you first loved us. And Father, tonight we wrestle with some heavy ideas. We, we recognize that we have a spiritual enemy in the heavenly places. And that spiritual en enemy, he lives to accuse us and to bring slander against us to the heavenly Father. And Father, if we're honest, we know that his accusations are true. We all sin and fall short in many ways. Lord, we, we have acted in evil ways this week. We've been selfish and greedy. We've been lustful and, and hateful. We've been arrogant. In this moment, though, we know that Satan's accusations, they, when they're brought before you, we, we know that Christ is our advocate. And we thank you that Jesus has died to pay the price for all of our sins. And we thank you that through his resurrection, we now stand in peace in hope, in a brand new life. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to rejoice in this new life 
as we remember Christ and his death and resurrection. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.